0: listening to the Thornapple Valley Church podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. So I thought this weekend, the, the best way that I could possibly start this talk was some good old Bible. So we're going to jump right into the Bible today. Uh, we're going to have it up on the screens for you, so you, don't, you can just follow along there. We're going to jump into Matthew 6, Uh, Verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So, it's safe to say that all of us understand what worry is. We've all experienced worry in our life, worrying about this or worrying about that. And so I wanted to sit on this for a second. A a definition of of worry that I found is this. Worry is to be uneasy in the mind, to feel anxiety about something, to fret. Um, It comes from an old English word that means to strangle. To strangle. And, And so, worry can actually be substitute with the word strangle and as I'm looking at worry I think a couple other words that that relate with worry is anxiety anxiety that when you worry about things what happens is anxiety can come into your life and then another word that I think can interchange with this is also fear fear and so when we worry about something we can have anxiety about something we have fear about something and reading this passage uh, I think maybe in the modern day that we live in today, it's not always that we're worrying about our clothes or our food. But that translates so well to today with other things. And I think that maybe some of the top three things that we uh, worry about, we have anxiety about, we, we're fearful about, is money, finances, uh, our families, and our jobs. That those three things are just a few of the things that we worry about. And the thing about worry and anxiety is that it robs you of joy in your life. And it also robs you of the moments. And, and just a simple example of this, the other day, uh, a few weeks ago, I was on a, a date with my fiance. And we were having a great time, everything was, was good. Uh, the whole day has been great. And all of a sudden I thought about finances randomly in my head. And all of a sudden, a little bit of anxiety came in. <laughs> And I got hot, and I started thinking about it, and I was like, oh, and I was like, whoa, okay, what's happening? Everything's been so good, and now I'm, like, so caught up in this. And the thing about it is, there was nothing that I could have done about about my finances in that situation. And the thing about, oftentimes, we worry about things that haven't happened yet. And we have anxiety about things that haven't happened yet. And then oftentimes when it happens, there's nothing we can do about it in that moment anyways. And so I'm in this moment realizing, wow, the, this thinking just about finances did this to me. And now, now it's robbing the moment that I'm having with my fiance. And it's crazy what that does. That worrying can turn into anxiety. Anxiety, fear, and, and, and anxiety and anxiety. Different people experience it at different levels. But I know that that can be like that definition. It can be strangling. It can be strangling in our life. That when we're worrying about these things, when finances, our job, our family, we can get strangled by these things and miss out what's going on. But in the midst of all of this, as I'm reading this passage, Jesus is talking about worry here and worry there and and this. But then there's this one verse in it that I want to focus on. And it's this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and the rest will follow. That Jesus seems to be saying something here, that he, he sees all this worry. He knows that we're going to do this. He knows we're going to have worry, we're going to have anxiety, we're going to have these things. So He, in the midst of this, this passage, he puts this little verse in there. He goes, hey, but if you seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness, he goes, all that stuff that you're worrying about, He's like, that will follow. That will take care of that. But what's more important is that you seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what does it look like to seek his kingdom? What does it look like to seek his righteousness? What, what does that look like for our lives? What does that look like in the midst of our worry and, and all the things that are going on? And so I wanted to uh, actually read a poem to you guys. Uh, it's by Corey Ten Boom. And it's called, Life is But a Weaving. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are are as needful. In the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who love to leave the choice to him. And so as I'm reading this poem, it seems that what Corey is saying here is that in the midst of not understanding, in the midst of not seeing everything... In the midst of we are got the underside view and God's got the upper side that we can't see everything. She's saying, but when you trust in God, when you put your trust in him and you seek him, he's got it figured out. Kind of the same with that verse. If you seek his kingdom, the rest will follow. And the part that I I like the most in this poem is, oft time he weaveth sorrow and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I see the underside. And I think that's so true for us. That in the midst of our our things that are going on, in the midst of our finances, in the midst of family troubles, in the midst of of anxiety that that strangles, we often have a narrow view. We have an earthly narrow view of what we can see. And that's the underside. But Jesus has the upper side. He's got the heavenly view. He has the all-knowing view. He sees what's going on. He sees everything that's going on when we only see one part. And a simple example of this is if you have a t-shirt, and on the t-shirt there's a like something printed with colors, and it's like making some kind of design. And if you turn it inside out, that's the underside. And if I showed that to you, you would see shapes kind of together, you would see colors, but you wouldn't see the fullness of what that is. But if you turn it right side out, you do the upper side, you see all those colors and those shapes are making something very clear. And so it's the idea behind, we kind of see the shirt inside out. We don't see the fullness of what God's doing or what's going on, But God sees the upper. He knows what he's doing. He has a bird's eye view. He can see everything that's going on. And so I really feel like in this idea of seeking the kingdom, God's trying to tell us there's more to the story. That when we are dealing with this anxiety, when we're dealing with these things and these worries, God's saying there's more to the story. When we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, he's saying there's something more important going on, and there's a Bible, Bible story that, uh, in the Old Testament that I love, so if you guys want to grab your Bibles, um, either your phones, or we do have Bibles for you in the seats, um, we're going to be in 2 Kings 6, 13-17, if, if you're with one of our Bibles, it's page 256, uh, And so while you're going there, I'll give you a little uh, reference point of what we're talking about, so in this story, there's this King Aram, which is now in the nation of Syria, and basically, he was at war with the northern kingdom, Israel. So he's at war with Israel. He's trying to take out Israel, trying to do all these things. And what happens is he could never get the upper hand because there's this guy named Elijah. He's a pretty cool guy. And what would happen is Elijah would know the plans before the king, Aram would know. And so every time that he attacked, he, wouldn't, he would have the upper hand. And so the king was like, what am I going to do? And so he came up with a plan. I'm going to kill Elijah. I'm going to kill Elijah. And so this is where we are picking up in the story. 2 Kings 6, verse 13 through 17. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man... Of God, so the servant of Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Elijah. And so if we're looking at the story, I think that we should probably put our, uh, ourselves in the servants' uh, shoes. And so we're with Elijah, and we know that this, this king is trying to get us, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we're completely surrounded by an army that's bigger than us, we're surrounded, what are we going to do? And I know that basically the servant's like, ah, I have, I'm worrying right now, I have anxiety. Like, what are we going to do, Elijah? This doesn't make sense. Are we going to run away? Are we going to try to fight them? Are we going to try to do our plans? What are we going to do? He's kind of freaking out a little bit. I can imagine that that's a pretty scary moment, that he felt surrounded in his life, that there was something crazy going on in his life that actually was life-threatening for him, and he felt probably strangled. But what Elijah does is he looks at his servant and he says don't be afraid because there are more with us than there are with them. The servant's probably like what are you talking about? And so Elijah prayed that the servant's eyes would be opened and when his eyes would open he saw that God was there. That God had sent his angels around them to protect them. And so what Elijah was saying is hey servant hey Matt whoever it is Don't be afraid because God's here. In other words, don't worry. Don't have fear because God's moving in ways that you can't see. He's moving in ways that you can't see. In other words, Elijah, in the midst of strangle, in the midst of what could very much worry you, he decided to seek God's kingdom. And what happened is when you introduce, introducing God into the equation changes the odds. No matter how frightening the situation looks. That when you introduce God into the situation, into the equation, it changes the odds. No matter how frightening the situation looks. So what Elisha did is he took these words of Jesus, even in the Old Testament. he, He sought out the kingdom of God and said, God's doing something here. First seek the kingdom and its righteousness and the rest will follow. And it was cool because I think that Elisha understood something that the servant didn't. He understood something that maybe I don't. And that's this, that God's kingdom is supernatural. God's kingdom is is supernatural. So in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of what we're going through, God's kingdom is not of this earth. God's kingdom isn't what we can see right in front of us. We get so caught up sometimes, I think, with what's right in front of us. But God's saying, no, I'm supernatural and I'm moving in a way that you can't see. And if you continue this story, it gets really good. It's already good, but it gets better. 2 Kings 6.18, it says this, As the enemy came down towards him. Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike the army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. So not only was God like, I got all my angels here, but then Elisha partnered with them, prayed, and the army went blind. And then the rest of the story is kind of of interesting. Elisha then leads them. I don't know who they thought they were following, but he leads them. Uh, away and they're following him and he leads them to basically their home base where like the king's at and so at this point I mean if you're thinking logically like I don't know but if you're in war and they've been trying to kill you for a long time they are now blind and you have them in your fortress like you know I know it sounds bad but like wouldn't you want to kind of destroy them or like get rid of them like in some way but that's not what happens something way better happens Basically, they, they get their sight back, and the king throws them a feast and feeds their enemy, then lets them go. And the enemy is, they say, oh, we're not going to attack you anymore. We're at peace. It's this is crazy story. It's, it's really wild. If you think about it, what if Elijah was like the servant? That he was consumed by worry and consumed by anxiety. He was like, what are we going to do? What if he decided, all right, This is what we're going to do. We're going to set up this battle plan. We're going to have this battle. Lots of people are going to get hurt. Or we're going to try to sneak away. But what happens is Elijah sought the kingdom of God in the midst of struggle. In the midst of being surrounded. And then God moved in a way that he could never have planned. That God moves in the supernatural. Like, it's crazy how many supernatural things happen here. First, he prayed for his servant's eyes to be opened. Then he saw that he had an army of angels around him. Then he prayed and they were blinded. And then what happened is God wanted peace. So what God had this bird's eye view is like, my goal is peace over here. My goal is for them not to want to harm you anymore. You're going to have a feast together. This is going to be awesome. But Elijah wouldn't have known that in this moment. All he saw that he, was that he was surrounded. But God wanted to do something that we couldn't see. That God sees the upper side, and we see the underside. And so, oftentimes, I believe in our worry and in our in our anxiety, in our hurts, in our fear, God's trying to do something else in it. And I think the prayer that we should have uh, is the same prayer that Elijah had: is open up our eyes to see what God is doing. The God works in the supernatural. And when we open up our eyes to see what he's doing, we're able to take something that seems like we're surrounded and we're able to partner with God and see what he's actually doing. And so much more is able to happen. Just like in that story. And I think the best way to partner with God is Elijah's example. He turned his worry and he turned it into prayer. He let. So we need to... Let our worry turn into prayer. Let our worry turn into prayer. Instead of Elijah trying to figure out his logistics, trying to take control, trying to figure this out, he said, "All right, I'm going to go to prayer. Because the kingdom of God looks different than this world. The kingdom of God is supernatural. Kingdom of God, God works with us through prayer. Uh, Just recently, uh, well, I'm in a life kind of change right now, whereas I'm going to be getting married in November. Uh, I talk about it a lot, I know. Um, it's a good thing. <laughs> Anyways, so that means there's wedding planning, that means we're trying to figure out where we're going to live once we're married, trying to figure out all of that stuff, and also just life, life doesn't stop, it keeps coming, all that stuff, and so we thought, hey, we need to, and, and there's times that we do get a little worried about it, or, you know, anxiety will creep in, and out of nowhere, right? Like, you don't expect it, and all of a sudden, you're hit with it. And so, we decided we were going to make a prayer board that we really wanted to turn our worry and turn it into prayer. And so, my fiance is super creative, and so we went and got like a poster board, and we got stickers, and we got markers, all that stuff. And uh, we started to think, what in our life is bringing us um, anxiety right now? Where do we need guidance? Where do we need to see that God's moving? And so, what we did is we did that. we. Uh, we didn't know where we were putting on the board. We started to just put all our prayer requests down, what we were hearing from God, and it was just this awesome time of prayer. But as we took a step back, excuse me, and we looked at the board, we saw that certain things were lining up in ways we never expected it to line up. That God has been doing something in our life over the last however long that this was lining up with this and this was lining up with that. And the thing is, we would have never seen this if we didn't take a step back and get God's perspective through prayer. That we would partner with him in prayer. And it's so cool because now, like in this time of being engaged, we know what the Lord's calling us to do in this time. We know that, that what he wants to do in this time. And we wouldn't have known how all of, this, all of this connected if we didn't take time to turn our worry into prayer. And so once we, the kingdom of God, when we seek the kingdom of God, that's, he moves in a supernatural way. We need to pray for our eyes to be open to see this, to turn our worry into prayer. But ultimately, all of this doesn't matter if it's not, if we don't have the true kingdom of God meaning in our hearts. And right now we live in a time where the kingdom of God is this in this current time. It's the rule and reign of Jesus in our hearts. One day he'll have the rule and reign of the physical. But right now it's the rule and reign of Jesus in our hearts. And so above all else. As we're seeking him. As we're turning it into prayers. We're focusing on the supernatural. The thing that matters most. And I'll keep coming back to this. Is the intimate, personal, intentional relationship with Jesus. That the kingdom of God. When we're in the midst of our. our whatever's going on in our life right now. That the number one thing that we could do. Is to let the rule and reign of Jesus into our heart into our heart so whatever you're dealing with right now whatever kind of maybe it's finances maybe it's family stuff maybe it's trying to find the right job or your current job is uh hard right now first and foremost let's let Jesus rule in our, our hearts but then let's open our eyes and see what God is doing because maybe through that struggle in your work right now God's got a bigger picture That he's got something planned for you and for people around to make a difference. That the first thing that God says to help with our worry is to first seek his kingdom. To open our eyes to see what he's doing. But next, then it says something else. It says, and seek his righteousness. Seek his righteousness. What's that mean? Well, the definition... ...of righteousness is this, the quality of being morally morally right or justifiable. So the quality of being morally right or justifiable. So there's two things there, and I think they both apply. The first and foremost, most important, is being justifiable. The idea of being right. And so what this means is that when we call ourselves followers of Jesus... ...that means that His righteousness actually washes over us... ...and He makes us right with the Father... And so the way I like to look at this, and the idea of being justified, of his righteousness, seeking his righteousness, washes over us is this. There's two books. And this book is the book of my life. And this is the book of Jesus' life. This book is messed up. (laughs) This book is perfect. Because Jesus is perfectly man, perfectly God, lived a perfect life. He died and rose again. He's perfect. And what happens is Jesus switches covers with me. And so here I am, the one that's messed up. But now Jesus' cover is over me. His righteousness is over me. And to be right, to be justifiable with God, he's now over me. So when the father looks at me, he says, oh, Jesus' righteousness washes over you. And it's a beautiful, amazing thing. And then Jesus puts the cover on my or I put my cover on Jesus, who's perfect. You know, and he took that punishment for me. He took that for me. And I don't deserve it. And so the first part about seeking this righteousness, the first part about righteousness being justifiable, being right with the Father, is what Jesus did for us. That when we choose to follow him, his righteousness washes over us. And now we are right with the Father. It's a beautiful thing. In 2 Corinthians five twenty-one, it says this. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so, when we seek God's righteousness, we know that it's something that we don't deserve. It's something that we didn't earn. But when we choose Jesus, he puts his cover on us. And he washes his righteousness. His, he justifies us. But then there's that second definition of righteousness. And I think God's talking about it here. when. We, When he's saying seek righteousness. And it's this, the quality of being morally right. And so once we chose Jesus and we got that righteousness we didn't deserve. Then we're actually called to seek righteousness in the way of being morally right. In other words, we're meant to become more like Jesus. That's one of our callings. And and this is called sanctification. Sanctification, that basically means to be set apart to a sacred purpose the process of becoming free of sin, to be purified. That Romans 6.18 says this, being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. We become the servants of becoming more like Jesus, of pursuing the things that are morally right. That God's saying in the midst of your anxiety and your fear and your worry and all these things, he's saying one of the things that are really important it's to seek his righteousness. To seek to become more like Jesus. To be, seek to become sanctified and do what is morally right. He, I don't fully understand this. But as we do that, he's saying the rest will follow. Not only should we seek his kingdom, his rule and reign in our heart, but then we should seek to be like him. That that's actually more important in our lives than what we're doing at work. That's actually more important than what we're worrying about with finances. That he's saying if we can seek to become more like him... And to be morally right with him and to be right, to be justified by him, to seek his, his kingdom, the other stuff will begin to become smaller because he's going to work through that. Romans 12.1, I tell you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies in a living sac- as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That once we are made righteous by not what we, what we deserve. When we're washed with this righteousness to be made right from Jesus. Then we're called to go after that in our own lives. And it doesn't mean that, that we're going to be perfect. But it means that we're going after that. That when we go after that, when we narrow our focus, that all that other stuff becomes smaller. In 1 Corinthians 1-2 it says this, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. In this passage, if you're a believer, Jesus, God, He's calling you a saint. A saint. And the Bible actually talks about this a lot where we're called saints. The word saint is derived from a Greek word that I can't pronounce, <laughs> whose basic meaning means to be set apart. To be set apart to be sanctified, to be made holy. That God calls us to be saints. And the thing is, it's weird. It's actually really weird to say, yeah, I'm a saint. Like, that sounds sounds weird. But the thing is, we're not saints by our own merit. We're not saints by anything that we deserve. We're not saints because of anything we've done or anything we'll do. But we're called saints because when we choose Jesus, his righteousness washes over us and he calls us a saint. He calls us a If, if Jesus calls me a saint, then I'm a saint. I'm going to believe it. And I think once we're called saints, that means we have a responsibility. And 1 Peter says, but just says. He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, do for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Saints aren't perfect. Please understand this. I'm not saying we're saints and we don't sin and all this. I'm saying, no, we do sin and we are messed up. But this is a perspective change that God calls us to be in this process of sanctification to becoming more like him and he says in the process of you in this work and process of messing up but growing, I call you a saint and so we can walk in that place of identity because I think this is what happens so often I think Christians and I've been caught in this before we just say I'm a sinner who sins and I need the grace of God you know that's not that's not wrong we do sin and we do need the grace of God 100 percent but once we choose to follow Jesus and his righteousness washes over us he doesn't call us sinners anymore he calls us saints he calls us set apart he calls us, you are now made holy now be holy as I am holy seek the things that are good think seek the things that are right and when you seek these things all the other stuff will follow We're saints that sin. (laughs) We're saints that still are messed up. But if our perspective changes, how we view ourselves is how we'll live. And if we view ourselves as saints, we view ourselves as, yes, I'm going to mess up, but I'm going to press into who God's called me to be. It changes. Then when we just let ourselves be sinners. And I don't know how all of this stuff lines up exactly, but I know that God says when you seek his kingdom and when you seek his righteousness, the rest will follow. The finances will follow. The job will follow. The family stuff, it will follow. But he says what is greater than the worry is God's kingdom. That his righteousness is greater than the anxiety." That when we can press in, we know we have these narrow focus. But when we can take a step back, and God, I know you see the upper. How are you moving in this situation? How can I seek you? How can I become more like you? And our focus is that. That's more important than those things that we often make so huge in our life. And this all sounds awesome. It sounds great. But in the reality, this isn't easy. It's not easy it's not easy I know to be honest with you guys I've been in a season uh, recently and the only way to describe it is a storm the only way to describe it is a storm and I know for a fact there's many of you in here today that are in a season that you could call a storm as well where maybe you've experienced loss you've experienced frustration you've experienced these different things that are hard in your life and the anxiety is real the anxiety is real. I know, um, in the past, I'm to be real honest with you guys, that I've experienced anxiety, just kind of in that way. You know, you feel it here, but I've never had an anxiety attack till this last week. You know, everything's going on, and I had this moment where I, I felt constricted. I felt that definition of being strangled, and I realized, wow, this is hard. And a lot of people deal with this. I know there's people in here who feel strangled, that feel that it's hard. And I'm going through this. And God's like, hey, remember the message you're putting together right now? I'm like, yeah, God. But I'm so thankful for it. Because that's going to happen in life. But it's how we respond. And God's saying, if you seek my kingdom and you seek my righteousness, Hey, it doesn't mean that I'm going to make everything perfect in your life. But it means that the rest is going to follow. And I'm going to take care of you. And when you're weak, I am strong. And that I'm going to move in ways that you can't see now. But if you keep pressing in, you keep saying yes, I'm going to move. And I'm going to get you through this. And that I've had these moments where I say, Jesus, I don't understand. But I love you. And I'll choose you. This doesn't make sense to me. But I love you. And I'm going to choose you. And so some of you, maybe are in that storm season as well. And it's not about fixing it, but it's about the posture of our hearts and our perspective change. That yes, we are saints. That yes, God, I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to seek your kingdom. I'm going to seek your righteousness because I know that you said I can trust you. And this has been on my heart pretty strong. So 4th of July, that's when it happened. That's when I had that anxiety. And I was on a boat. And it started to downpour while we were on the boat. And uh, the water started hitting me. I didn't have anything to cover me up. And I was starting to get drenched, starting to get soaked. And as I was getting drenched, the anxiety started to leave. It started to go away. And I felt in this moment God was teaching me something He's saying, Hey, I'm washing you of this. I'm washing you of this. And I felt like I was supposed to say this, that some of you deal with this on a daily basis, maybe a weekly basis of this constricting strangle of anxiety. And some of you haven't been baptized. And baptism is something that we not only do to say it's outward representation of we're all in for Jesus, but I think there's something more to it. That when we go under the water and we come up, the old becomes new. It's this beautiful picture I felt like God was saying that he wants to heal some of your anxiety through baptism and I I know that we will have baptisms coming up at some point in the future and and if you want to if you feel like that's you and you feel like I've never been baptized and I do want to get baptized I want to see what God is going to do in this you can connect with somebody out in the lobby and they can get you connected with that at the end of the day God's kingdom is greater. God's righteousness in our life is greater. And I know that this is maybe felt a little heavy. <laughs> so I wanted to do something that's kind of fun at the end here. Something that I do with uh, our youth group. It's fun. I actually uh, do this in my car by myself. Give myself a little pep talk sometimes. Because uh, the reality is is God loves to move at the sound of your voice. He does. He loves it. And sometimes we just got to like speak that truth and just believe it. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I want to just do it in a spirit of, of, of just having fun. And the idea of, of hey, God, you got this. Um, but I want to have you do it if you want to. You don't have to. Uh, repeat after me. Uh, so if you guys would stand with me. I'm going to be loud you guys can be loud if you want it's fun Jesus is good Jesus Jesus we love you we trust you we give you our worry we give you our anxiety we give you our fear you're greater you're good would you move? And will we see what you are doing? We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's let's just remember, hey, God's kingdom is better than anything else. Amen. All right, you guys have an amazing, wonderful weekend and we will have prayer people up front.